Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guests today are from the Columbus Community Center. We have the Chief Executive Officer, Christy Chambers, and Autism Program Director, Amy Wadsworth. Welcome to you both. Thank Thank you. you. The website is columbusserves.org. And Christy, maybe you could just give us a big picture view of what the Columbus Community Center is. When was it started? Who started it? Why? And, and who sure. do you serve? Maybe that the, kind of that elevator speech about Excellent. who yeah. you are. Yeah, no, we've got a long, illustrious history, um, not only in the disability movement, but also here specific to Utah. So we're a large disability service provider, and we provide everything from residential services to community employment, which is job placement in the community. We also are social entrepreneurs. So we provide um, services such as paper shred, uh, janitorial, Mm. grounds maintenance, package and kitting. And we've been doing this for years. Um, And it's wonderful because we employ our clients in those settings. Um, And it is is part of the bigger picture of what we do. Um, We also have a day activity program where we have about 85 people who come to us daily and we engage them in meaningful community engagement. Um, But I think the big thing with us is we just started our next work program here seven years ago now. Hard to believe seven years, but um, it's well underway. Amy is our program director and I'm really a formative leader in this area, not only in the autism arena, but also in her knowledge of the population itself. She is a parent of uh, adult child on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we specifically focus on adults in our services. So okay. um, our, we have just a minor exception to that where we do go into high school and offer what are called pre-ETS program, and that's really a customized employment training. But the majority of our, our work has always been with adults um, mm-hmm. with what we call autism, intellectual, and developmental delays. Why Columbus. Why Columbus? Well, we were founded specifically by parents. Okay. And those parents um, got together again over 50 years ago, and they started to advocate and not agonize. Um, and through through their public policy efforts, they were able to really change the world, not only here at the state level, but also nationally. Um, they were formative in what we call the IDEA Act, which mainstreamed those with special needs into the public education system, mm. which was huge, because once they became a part of that public education system and the expectations were raised and now as they age into adulthood um, we have an obligation to make sure that they're as integrated as possible into the community and that's really where we're focused is to provide a world where people have equal opportunities to live purposeful lives um, to be a part of the community itself to be able to work to be able to live to be able to enjoy their lives on a level that um, we as Americans believe is our fundamental right. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, I grew up, I'm old enough to, to remember, I grew up next door uh, to a friend of mine who uh, had Down syndrome. Yeah. And I remember he was my same age, but he went to different schools. Exactly. So I mean, that wasn't that long ago that that no. was the case. Um, so I always like to learn a little bit about the people I'm talking to. So, Amy, maybe you could talk about your background and how you came to be at Columbus Community Center. Well, Christy mentioned that I have a daughter who's on the autism spectrum. Um, she is more severely impacted. Um, when she was first diagnosed, that was back in 1997. 
And there was a whole huge number of people that were diagnosed around that time. And we were really discovering how little we knew about autism at that time. Um, there was actually a theory called the refrigerator mom theory. Mm, I haven't heard of that. <laughs> Thankfully. Yeah. yeah. What, is, what does that mean? <laughs> Basically, it, it was based on the concept of attachment and stating that the reason that a lot of autistic kids were um didn't seem to have good attachments with their parents were because their mothers weren't providing enough comfort hmm. to them, which um, I can attest was not the case. Yeah. Um, I had two little girls. They were a year apart. And Jessica is my second child. And um, I tried my best to mother them both the same way, yeah. the way all young mothers do. Um, but she reached about 18 months old, and then she stopped developing. Mm. Um, she had a regressive form of autism. So um, we went through the process of the diagnosis, and it was extremely difficult. She didn't fit the stereotypes, which at that time were, you know, being completely nonverbal and rocking and, mm. and you know, hitting yourself and stuff like that. And she just didn't fit that stereotype at that time. Um, so originally she was diagnosed with what's called PDD, which is pervasive developmental disorder. Um, a lot, lots of kids were diagnosed mm. with that at that time. And then as they continued to find out more about autism, it actually changed the diagnostic process mm. um, and uh, became more refined. And, and now it's a spectrum disorder. Right. So, um, so my daughter was on the forefront of all of that research. Um, she actually, even Pingree, um, they were developing their uh, their school at that time, and they were one year behind her. So mm. she would reach an age, and she was just a uh. year too old to participate. So she went to public school, and and um, we were just part of the forefront of figuring out what autism was. And so I'm sure that she benefited from Columbus and, and the resources there. Yes, yes. She actually um, she got her job through Columbus, um, and had a, um, a job coach at the time. I, I've worked there for almost eight years now, and uh, one of my other daughters has worked there. So we've um, Columbus has definitely been in our heart for a while. And Christy, what about you? What's your background, and how yeah, did you come to I, be I came where you are? to this job really um, as being part of the nonprofit community for the last 25 years, serving in the social services sector. I have a background in finance, so I'm, I am a CPA and came up kind of more through the administrative ranks of mm. what that looked like. But it's been just a delight to marry that accounting slash finance background with um, the nonprofit social services sector. Um, and I, I came about, um, I had been in the public sector for, gosh, many years, um, and then found once I had my child, I, I entered into the nonprofit world and just fell in love with it mm. and um, had been in there for about 15 years. I worked with Planned Parenthood as her CFO originally. And then I um, came into the CEO role with Four Street Clinic, which is serving the homeless, and then migrated over to Columbus um, and found you know a lot of comparable similarities. Um, we're primarily government funded, but I think what was so nice was there was the knowledge of the fee-for-service government funding, but I also had the private industry, so our social entrepreneurial right, yeah. um, played very well into my business background. Um, so kind of a unique fit. Um, one of the things, too, that attracted me 
to Columbus is we um, were underway with a huge affordable housing um, project. So building and program has been a part of my nonprofit mm-hmm. history as well. And um, seeing this opportunity to build um, what was a very large, significant project um, that addressed affordable housing as well as um, housing our next work program for autism uh, was a huge appeal challenge and um, really kind of brought to bear uh, a good portion of my professional background. Mm-hmm. So. And Amy, maybe you could just explain, I know you've got more than one location and you've got several different mm-hmm. programs and we'll talk about all of those, but mm-hmm. maybe just talk about the different facilities you have and what happens at each mm-hmm. one. So we have several group homes, and Mm -hmm. I'll ask Christy to jump in because she knows more about all the different facilities than I do. But um, we have our main center, which is where our activities program is located, and that's also where all of our admin offices are um, and uh, where our shred center is, which is one of our entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship (laughs) um, efforts, and... um, all of those partnerships are run from there as well. And then we have uh, group homes. We have some uh, residential apartments that have support. Um, and then Next Work is located at the Hub of Opportunity, which is our newest um, our newest building. And I love that name, the Hub of Opportunity. Mm-hmm. That just sounds so appealing. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to go there. So that is your focus, the Next Work Academy and the Hub of Opportunity. So maybe right. talk about that program specifically and I think it's important to point out that that is a separate program from everything else that you're doing at Columbus Community yeah, it Center. It falls under the same umbrella. So we're very multifaceted, right. as I mentioned. So but this it's is, funded a little differently. It is mm-hmm. funded a little bit differently. Exactly. So maybe you could talk about Next Work. So Next Work is it's kind of like a little microcosm of Columbus. We, okay. we kind of provide all the services that Columbus provides. Um, we have um, – there's three portions, main portions to the program. Uh, one is our employment services, which Columbus also offers through the supported employment department. Um, and then we also have um, classes and activities that we do. Um, it's not quite a typical day activity program. Um, most of our clients, we I mean, we actually encourage work. We want them to work. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's the that's the key to independence, really. And so if we can train our, our clients and, and help them get to a point where they can be full-time benefited, they hear that from me all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, they're sick of hearing that <laughs> from me because, um, one, we don't want them to have to rely on benefits because we don't know what's going to happen with that. And it's mm-hmm. it's designed to be a safety net. It's not designed to be something that they rely on. Mm. Um, and you get more personal satisfaction, I believe. I see it in my clients when they get to interact with the community, and and uh, a job is so much more than a paycheck. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but next work is is focused specifically on autism, people with autism. Yes. Well, neurodiversity. Okay. Yeah. So that's a so bigger umbrella. It is a bigger umbrella. So a lot of our clients. Um, actually struggle more with their coexisting condition than they do with their autism. Their autism tends to be very mild. Mm. Um, most of our clients either don't have a cognitive disability in, in addition, or if they do, it's very mild. So most of them would have an IQ of 70 or above. Um, and I hate to use the IQ as, as a benchmark, but it's, you know, it's kind of a good estimate, right? right? right. Um, all of my clients are verbal. Um, they're all able to um, work in the community at least part-time. 
Um, and so we'll help them apply for benefits to help support that. But we do want to encourage them to get as close to full-time benefited as they can. And you were mentioning that Next Work Academy needs a little more community and individual funding than the Columbus Community Center. Kind of explain that. Definitely. So the biggest difference between my clients and the clients that would receive uh, services from Columbus Activities Program or um, a Columbus, a typical Columbus residential program, is my clients either don't qualify for funding from the state or the federal government or if they do qualify they're so far down the wait list and they have so many skills that um, they may never need or or be determined to need those those supports so they won't ever get that funding or if they do it will be when they're elderly and have a lot more issues going on than autism just last week i was interviewing a couple of people from the utah parent center which kind of ties in nicely to what you guys do because they primarily serve kids that are still in school and Mm -hmm. one thing we talked about last week was how when you graduate from high school there's kind of a cliff you fall off because there's all of these services available and then all of a sudden most of them are gone so Mm -hmm. that sounds like that's your niche is exactly after that point that's we designed that's why we designed this program Mm -hmm. to be that bridge My guests today are from the Columbus Community Center. We're speaking with Chief Executive Officer Christy Chambers and Autism Program Director Amy Wadsworth. And the website is columbusserves.org. And we kind of talked about how things have changed over just the last few decades. I remember growing up with that friend of mine who had Down syndrome who lived next door. I never dreamed that he'd have a job. Mm -hmm. He went to a special school, so I assumed he was always going to be in somebody's care. Mm -hmm. But he does have a job. And he's, I mean, we're still the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's a member of, of being, you know, a productive member of society. So mm-hmm. how has that changed? Um, and are we still headed the right direction? Yeah, no, you recapped it really quite nicely. I always mm-hmm. like to portray it as um, the most successful civil rights movement of our time because mm-hmm. you and I um, know it's changed significantly. And that's been done primarily through policy. Again, these advocating parents who really wanted to see a different world for their children got out there and um, made it known. And we structured a whole government system around providing those supports um, that are indeed funded. Um, it's it's changed even in the last couple of years. Mm. There's been additional policy called home and community-based services. It's been around quite a bit of time, but it's really been implemented here within the last two years. Um, and that really changed um, the world and how we perceive it. And that is, uh, you know, Columbus had traditionally been what was called a congregate setting. So our social entrepreneurial models, we had people, um, similar people working side by side. Uh, the conventional wisdom now, however, is to have people working out in the community side by side with able-bodied people right. and then provide those necessary supports. And again, that all kind of came through advocacy. Um, so in, in enforcing um, what really was called the HCBS Act, and then there's also an additional act called the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, which did indeed want people to work more out in the community and mm-hmm. not in these congregate settings. Uh, we as Columbus have had to really transform quite significantly and place far more um, emphasis on that community employment with the necessary job placement and job coaching and the like. And this is really kind of the core of what our next work program does as well. And as far as adults on the autism spectrum, it's kind of an awkward place right now because the diagnosis is relatively young. Um, Those who are needing services want to have their loved ones get a diagnosis as early as two years so that they can qualify for the necessary 
necessary education right, yeah. and all the benefits. And as you said, there's this service cliff that happens, and yet they enter a world where they're not funded. So a lot of our energies and efforts currently are trying to figure out to how to build this kind of social safety net around that particular population. Um, because the expectations now that people are mainstreamed into the public school system, we set really high expectations of when you graduate, that you can live a normalized mm-hmm. life, that you can have these opportunities, um, and that you should have these opportunities. So in that way, very aspirationally, we've done a nice job of even further integrating people into our community at large. Um, and I think that has a lot to say. The funding mechanisms maybe haven't um, caught up with what right. those aspirations are quite yet. So this is where community support and fundraising and all of that. But I at least envision a world um, where we can heighten people's awareness around autism, which allows people to understand it better and not be frightened of it to employ people. Um, and I see our work kind of cut out for us ahead. But I do envision a world um, where we we have the opportunities to provide everyone uh, with the capacity to lead a purposeful life that is defined by them, mm-hmm. not 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 service providers, right, but by the right. individual. So, and that was one thing I, I found on your website is as we go through these changes, the, the population you serve isn't always the most difficult part in making this transformation. Sometimes it's the family who needs a little education to understand that this mm-hmm. family member of theirs can absolutely do these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, and and even just the public. Too, um, I think understanding um, that there is no stereotype that fits autism. Right. <laughs> it just, you know, the the saying goes: if you know one person with autism, you know one person right, with right, autism, yeah. and it's so true. My clients are every bit as diverse as anybody else, um, and they might have a few things in common, but the way that they are wired um, might have that trait manifest in a different way. So um, it, it, it's, it's, I mean, how do you describe, you know, complete and total uniqueness? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they really are. Um, yeah. And so teaching the public, teaching the families that the expectations need to be geared toward that individual. Mm-hmm. Um, that probably, I feel, is one of the most important things. And, and we do, we have... We have training for parents. We do. Um, we have transition workshops that we do, um, and that is all about figuring out what independence means. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know, what's possible for this individual, and identifying where their um, their self limiting beliefs are, um, because they really can be limited by their expectations. Um, and a lot of society says, well, people with autism are really good at technology. Well, Some not are. necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And um, being good at video games doesn't is not the same thing as being good with technology. They're very different. Right, right. And uh, so, even, you know, even that stereotype does not apply. Yeah. I just know I'm a parent and I'm very protective of my kids. And so I can imagine that sending your daughter out into a job where she's going to be mm-hmm. vulnerable and the general public around and who knows what's going to be said to her yeah. or how she's going to be treated. That's got to be hard. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And I've done it too. So um, when I talk with parents, they know that uh, I, I'm sharing from right. an honest place. Now you mentioned before we went on the air that you're looking for business partners, specifically business partners who can mm-hmm. employ the people you serve. Um, what, and again, 
this is probably I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm pigeonholing it, but I'm not. But what sorts of jobs tend to be the ones that are the best for this population? Honestly, I think it has more to do with culture and with environment than it does with task. Mm. Um, because we can find all different kinds of skills. We just need more places where our clients are going to be accepted. Um, this is a really good piece to a um, to an inclusion policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but disability is still a little overlooked as yeah. as a diversity. Right. You know, it's not really it doesn't get the same attention as being female or or, you know, racial Person differences color, yeah, or whatever. Right. Um, uh, disability doesn't even seem to make the list. Mm. Um so I think, you know, looking for companies that want to have a more diverse, inclusive culture, mm-hmm. that that's the key. Yeah, and there's that's a big thing right now with companies with the, the DEA, DEI. Uh-huh. Uh, yep, and exactly. And so, yeah, that's for sure. So it maybe isn't necessarily these types of jobs are good for people with autism. It's more like, all right, at your business, what do you have that might fit this particular person? Exactly, yep. That's and a different mindset than mm-hmm. we've been. It really yeah. is, yep. Um, so let's talk about your events. I know that you've got uh, Art from the Heart coming up in September. Christy, maybe tell us about what that is and how sure. people can get involved. Sure, This um, particular event goes to sports, specifically our Next Work program. Oh, so great. all proceeds um, support Next Work. And it is now we're at, on our third annual Art from the Heart. But um, the intention and hope is is to really attract artists to contribute work. Um, they can be from the disability community or not. Okay. Um, and so we accept all sorts of art forms, primarily um, paintings and the like, but um, also jewelry, performing art tickets, um, really anything qualified for art. Um, it's a three-day event where we have an online auction and then an actual event where you can go see the artwork and bid on it. Uh, the auction is open for three days, um, so you can do it both online or come in person. Uh, but it's really nice. I, I think one of the biggest benefits is I've participated over the last couple years is we engage the entirety of the community. So just as an example, this morning we were talking with Spy Hop and Utah Film Society to understand you know, what, um, how we could bring maybe the performing arts in. So it broadens our reach and it allows us to connect with the community at large in a greater way. But then it also allows us to premiere these artists as well as, you know, attract donors, board members and the like to the event and throw a great big kind of fun party. Um, It's good. It's going to be on September 8th. We're hosting it in our administrative building. Um, And part of the event is uh, we have a woman who specifically designs sensory rooms for those on the autism spectrum. Oh, yeah, I saw that on your website. Yeah, so she has volunteered very kindly to come come in and convert one of our rooms in the admin office um, to not only for clients but also for staff as a room where you can go and decompress and Mm. de-escalate and, you know, just have all the necessary – uh, you know, acoustics and um, painting and, you know, just keep it really relaxed. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a huge gift to us. So we'll be doing a ribbon cutting on that. And for those who maybe have a loved one on the spectrum who are living at a home, it's also an opportunity to kind of see what goes into these design mm-hmm. elements. So we're very excited about that. But it's going to be a great big kind of fun get-together party. Um, we hope people will participate either online or come over and see our facility. Uh, and 
and um, you know we're emerging from the pandemic and year over year this continues to grow and we continue to learn more lessons and we continue to engage more community members um, but I've really been excited about the momentum that we've been able to build around it. So if it's your third annual you started the first one during the pandemic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course because what else were yeah. we going to do? <laughs> so if you go to columbusserves.org it's the first thing that pops up there is the art from the heart and the registration deadline, well, the deadline to submit art <clears throat> or to apply is August 25th. So there's yes. still some time if people are thinking, oh, I want to yeah. enter something and contribute something. Yeah, this is a great venue to premiere your artwork for sure. Mm-hmm. What are the costs to your clients of the services you provide? Well, we've done our best to try and figure out how to make it affordable for them. So what we did is we separated the cost of rent and the cost of participation. Um, and this is for... Um, this is specifically for those that are participating in our um, training apartments, um, which we only have 10. Um, so their their participation is, is figured out, calculated based on their income. Um, if they're just participating in the program because they don't have to be a resident to participate, mm-hmm. um, basically we have some classes depending on how long the class is. Um, it's between one seventy-five and five hundred dollars a term. Um, if it's just an hour long, then it's the one seventy-five for the term. But if it's we have classes that are up to three hours long, and mm. those ones are are five hundred a term. And a term is three months, so we're based on a fiscal year. So we go every quarter. We actually had new classes start on the tenth, so um, people can still sign up for those because um, then we aren't into them deep enough yet right. to turn anybody away. Um, and we also have an activity night that is free to the public and that's kind of a um test it out see if you like it see if it's the right fit um yeah and so uh that's you know for anyone with any neurodiversity that wants to just come and test out the program and then we also have a relatively new service um it's kind of like a supported living type service but they're, we call them life skills coaches, and that's an hourly service, and they can help individuals working toward their goals. They can go out in the community with them, teach them how to do grocery shopping. They can come to their apartments, teach them how to clean, how to cook, um, all life skills oriented. Um, and we also are going to have a therapist on site, um, and that is that is a new thing that will start um, in a couple weeks here. So that is a big deal because yeah. there's a long wait list throughout the state, really, I would for, imagine, yeah. for therapy. Um, so, yeah, that's really so, exciting. So, Chrissy, you've talked about how you've adapted and changed pretty recently. What does the future look like? What are your goals for 10 to 20 years from now? Do you have any idea what Columbus will look like? Yeah, um, well, the trajectory has been set. So, again, more and more community-based integration, I think, is on the horizon just by virtue of kind of how we see the world. And um, my hope, and Amy will talk more about our Next Work program, but my hope is that really we can educate the general population more around autism and have them have the same success as what our traditional clients have experienced in the integration in the community and understanding of what that is. Um, we're not one of those nonprofits that necessarily will put ourselves out of business um, because there will always be sure. a, a need um, to serve this population. And um, the better we can do it and 
and um, the more that we can support families and what that looks like, I think uh, I think that's where I see it. There is kind of a looming crisis because many people with disabilities live with a caretaker. And those oh, yeah. caretakers are aging. Right. And, you know, you reach this inflection point where um, you have a choice of either trying to figure out, um, you know, how they're going to continue to be supported either, you know, it's primarily through a family member, but not every family has that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there could be a point of crisis where you need to find housing or services or what that looks like. So that area, I think, needs far more attention. And we just recently completed a research project with Autism After 21 that will be released here in the next month, Mm. which is a very comprehensive overview of um, what people should be thinking of, what those caretakers should be thinking of as far as um, the next steps for their loved ones. Because, you know, frankly, the life expectancy of those with disabilities has increased to pretty much the norm Mm, right now. So the likelihood of somebody living outliving their parents or their caretaker is is quite great. Um, we're also you know looking to prevent homelessness because that is one of the things that could indeed happen yeah. um, in these particular cases. So how do we deal with? Uh, what we know is there, what we know is going to be a growing need, um, and and really hit it now um, so that we can be preventative and provide those yeah. necessary upstream solutions. There's so much more to talk about, but we're out of time. Yeah. Thank you both for coming in. Uh, Chief Executive Officer Christy Chambers and Autism Program Director Amy Wadsworth. It's the Columbus Community Center, and again, the website is columbusserves.org. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for letting us yeah. talk. Thank you for listening to All Along the Wasatch with Mike Parsons. If you would like to submit a request to be a guest on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. That's mparsons at ksl.com. 